Well, we've all heard of this guy up here, Johnny Cash, right? And there's Johnny Cash and his brother Jack, who was two years older than Johnny. Uh, Jack was Johnny's more outgoing, charismatic, and fun-loving son in the family, or brother. Um, Johnny Cash regarded Jack as his best friend, his big buddy, his mentor and protector. And one day when Johnny was 12 and Jack was 14, uh, they ventured off for a summer day of, of messing around together. Uh, but Jack decided that because his family needed money, Jack would go to work at the, the town uh, wood mill there, the wood shop. And so Johnny decided, though, I'm going to go fishing. You can go to work. I'm going fishing. Johnny went fishing, and Jack went to the wood shop in town. And the table saw, though, uh, was left with a guard off of it. And so when he was sawing some wood, it pulled him into the, the, the saw and, and cut his body. And later on that week, Jack died. Problem was, uh, the father of Johnny and Jack made Johnny believe that it was somehow his fault. In fact, years later, when his dad was in a drunken state, his dad said something like, too bad it wasn't you instead of Jack. Johnny Cash struggled for many years, even after he became a famous musician. He struggled with guilt and shame, which led him to alcohol and amphetamines addiction. He got arrested for it, even trying to smuggle drugs up from Mexico. And Johnny's daughter said of her dad that dad had this real guilt thing about him his whole life. Being raised in a semi-religious home, uh, Jack or Johnny dealt with this guilt because he had believed a lie that somehow the death of his brother was his fault. Craig Groeschel, in his book, um, Renewing the Mind, um, he spoke of Harry Houdini, the magician, who came in, into a town. He went from town to town, and first thing he'd do would, would, was uh, he would get some people to follow him to the local jail, where he told the jailer to lock him up, and he would escape within minutes, town after town. He escaped, which then, of course, was great PR for his show later on that week. He escaped time after time until this one day he entered into a town and he had the jailer close the cell door and the jailer put the key in the lock and he turned it in the wrong direction. And he retrieved the key, put it in his pocket, walked away. It fooled Houdini. He tried to escape time and time again in vain because he ended up locking himself in as he tried to pick the lock over and over again. This was the only cell he could not escape. And the jailer finally revealed his deception. Houdini had believed a lie, and that lie held him captive. Well, we too believe lies that hold us captive to our sin, don't we? These lies that Johnny Cash believed about his life held him captive for years, and we do as well. We're going to review a couple of the steps that we talked about in past weeks. How we can walk in freedom by walking in the truth. Um, four steps today. The first step is this. We need to pray, Lord, reveal the lie. Reveal the lie. 
We have an enemy whose native tongue is the lie. Um, John 10.10, 10, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And the biggest lie that we can believe is that this enemy does not exist. That would be like taking your family to a picnic in the park and laying the blanket out, but unknowingly you're in the middle of some battle zone going on. So you unpack your lunches and you're eating and your invisible enemy is picking you off one by one as you sit there eating your lunch. The enemy is Satan. We will never defeat what we cannot define. We will never defeat the person that we don't believe in. If we're to live in freedom, we must first ask God to reveal the liar and the lies behind um, this liar that we've come to believe about ourselves. Some of these lies are so entrenched in our minds from year after year after year of believing that which was said about us or to us years ago from our second grade teacher or maybe a parent or a step-parent or maybe an uncle or a friend And so we just believe these lies that we've come to believe about ourselves. And the more we think it and believe it, the deeper it entrenches into our brain. And the lie becomes a truth. And we live in defeat rather than freedom. We need to ask God to expose the lie, reveal the lie. Psalm 139, pray this prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I've believed lies all of my life, uh, such as I never felt like a leader growing up. You know, I had siblings who were natural leaders. I was the youngest of four kids, and uh, I was just kind of a ham, unlike today. I was just an average kid trying to get by, an average student, an average athlete, an average musician, average communicator. I went to speech class with Sylvia Johnson when I was in like first grade. I went for my F's and she went for her R's. But the thing that Sylvia had was she was the fastest person in her class. I was just the average kid who struggled with his speech. I remember participating or presenting a public speech in college after a paper, over a paper that I'd written, and I'd procrastinated the paper and so I, was, I took no, two no-dose tablets that night to pull an all-nighter to write the paper in order to give a speech on it the next day. And I remember those no-dose pills were like, made me wired in the morning at breakfast. I went into my class, morning class, stood up to give my speech, and I was oatmeal brain. I couldn't think. There was nothing. And so then I went out and grabbed my paper, and I started reading it, and it made no sense to me whatsoever. And so I just stood there and kind of stumbled and and had no idea what was going on. And so I sat down, completely humiliated, thus entrenching the lie that you are no leader, you are a lousy communicator. So when God first called me to go into pastoral ministry, I responded like Moses, "Uh, no thanks, God, get someone else. 
Well, I did eventually become a youth pastor for 19 years, but never dreamt that God would raise me up to be a pastor to adults, the main communicator of a church because of these lies. Another lie, as a preacher, I didn't think I could really hear from God. And so given the topic that I was preaching on, I would go get as many books out of the library and whatnot on the topic that I was going to preach on so that I could preach someone else's thoughts, compile the best of everyone else. You know, Chuck Swindoll and David Jeremiah and and guys like that. Because I didn't believe that I could hear from God. We need to ask God to reveal the lies or we will continue to live the lie as if it were the truth all of our lives. Secondly, the second R step is to replace the lie with the truth once God uh, reveals it. I'd have continued to believe these lies about myself, but God faithfully and gradually revealed the truth to me through the encouragement of mentors, by giving me opportunities to use my gifts and stretching me like that, and also by reading God's Word. And in the first week of the sermon series, um, we looked at the sheet that are still out there. I believe you could pick one up. A sheet just front and back with dozens of promises that God says of us, what he thinks of us, who we are in Christ. That's who we are, really. Who are we in Christ? And for example, Ephesians 2.10 was important to me when I read, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And that word handiwork I read is masterpiece, like a da Vinci or Van Gogh. We are God's masterpiece. He does not create junk. And he created us, and he prepared us to do his works, his eternal works, which he's prepared for us in advance. All we have to do is be willing. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And so I made this declaration. I'm God's masterpiece. I've been chosen and prepared to do his good works. And so when you focus on that, rather than the lie that you're no leader, you're no communicator, you, you, don't make a, you can't make a difference, then it begins to change you. Our thoughts change our actions and our lifestyle. John 8, you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. Now this road to freedom is initially, it's life-changing, transformational when we meet Christ. He changes a lot about us, but what he doesn't do is hit the delete button on our brains and just wipe out our brain and then reprogram us. He doesn't do that. It's a gradual process of renewal. 12, Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and we do so by the Word of God. When we learn of who we are in Christ through that sheet, through God's Word, it's sort of like if, if you picture a, a pot of coffee, a big pot half full, and it's filled with dark, aromatic coffee. You know, you can smell it. But that coffee, rather than being a good thing, the dark coffee represents your sin, your sinful thoughts stuck in your head. Every thought leads to darkness. Sinful. And so what do you do about that? Well, God doesn't dump it all out and then put brand new thoughts in you right away. What he does is he gives us truth through his word. It's like getting an ice cube and dropping it right in that pot of coffee with every truth another ice cube and over time the darkness begins to light lighten up 
until it eventually becomes clear and we begin to think God's thoughts. It's the process of renewing our mind by the power of God's word and the truth. And that sets us free. But we can know the truth in our heads and still not walk by the truth. We can be students of the Bible, we can memorize scripture, and still misinterpret life's events or circumstances when they come into our lives that are disappointing and that are painful, which can then lead us into bondage when we believe those circumstances. So the third thing we need to do is we need to reframe our perspective about life's circumstances around the truth of God's word. We need to reframe our perspective. If our perspective of life's circumstances is off, then we'll fall victim to the saint's lies. Even though we've been walking with Christ for years, we can still live, be, even though we know scripture by heart and we can quote it, script, uh, verse, chapter and verse, we can still walk by the lies if we misinterpret life and circumstances. We need to reframe our perspective. Like, for example, if imagine you walking into a party with a friend and you're just excited to be there. Woo! It's a crowd, crowded room and you walk in there and your friend comes up to you in a little bit and he says, man, I've been hearing the people talking, talking about you over there and they're saying, what's this guy doing in here? He doesn't fit here. I, I can't believe he came. And then all of a sudden you get really insecure and, and you're looking around and you see someone kind of staring at you across the room and you're thinking, I can read their thoughts. They're thinking, what's this guy doing here? He's an idiot. Why is, he, why is he coming to our party? He doesn't fit here. And you just feel really insecure and out of place. And so you call your friend over and say, let's get out of here, dude. Man, I don't want to be here. Your excitement goes to insecurity and humiliation. And so your friend leans over to you and says once again, gotcha! No one said anything about you, you idiot. And so, so you go from excitement to humiliation to anger to, all right, let's just get on with it, you know? When we believe lies and when we interpret events and circumstances, our perspective makes all the difference in the world. We need to reframe our perspective. Can you see that one? Well, let me just give you a couple more examples. As a ninth grade treasurer of my middle school, um, I almost got impeached by the vice principal because I made a couple mistakes. I misunderstood something and I tried, but he called me into his office and he wanted to impeach me. Once again, playing over the lie in my head, you'll never be a leader, John. Why, what the heck are you trying to be treasurer of your class for? When I was on tour with a singing group, Heart Song, traveled around the country, I interviewed for a youth pastor job in Minnesota, and I remember sitting before the committee one evening, and they asked me a simple question, but my mind went blank, and I had nothing. I had no answer for them, and they looked at each other. They re-asked the question. I had nothing, and I left that meeting thinking, oh man, what an idiot I am, and I never heard from them. I had to call them to find out if I was still being considered. Well, I wasn't, thus believing a lie that I'll never measure up to youth pastor. Uh, sometimes um, when I hear that people leave the church here, countryside, and or they're no longer here, sitting in the pews, wonder where they go, I hear, oh, they're going somewhere else. Oh, of course they're going somewhere else because somewhere else has a better preacher and a better leader 
And a better teacher, I should just quit and become a house painter. I can do that, at least. I remember tearing a ligament in fir- uh, first game of the summer in church softball, sliding into second. And I just knew that God was not pleased with my priorities. I wasn't really putting him first, and he was punishing me, thus believing another lie. Um, as I shared last week, a, few, a month ago or so when we were on vacation, uh, we got a hotel in Cleveland, but I waited until noon or just afternoon on that day to secure a hotel, but nothing was open in the metro Cleveland area, and so we got desperate, and we booked something through a third party, and we got there, and it was a dump of a hotel, and it cost us, like, ultimately $250. Uh, they overcharged us, highway robbery type of thing, and it looked like a five-star in the, on the website, but you get there, and it had been used as a homeless shelter during COVID for a year and a half, and they just recently reopened without cleaning it. And so you can imagine what uh, Lynn thought when she walked in the room along with the daughter, took one sniff and said, we ain't staying here. I don't care for costs. And so we didn't. Lie. I'm irresponsible. I should have booked this yesterday. I should have been a loving, responsible husband rather than wait for the last second. You're so irresponsible. Well, the Apostle Paul was the poster child for reframing a perspective around God's truth, taking the lie and reframing it. Paul's plan was to advance the gospel in Rome on his mission trip by preaching to government officials in Rome. He wanted to go to the big city of Rome, but instead, when he found himself going to Rome, he wasn't going so much as an apostle, but as a prisoner. And he was placed under house arrest in Rome And every eight hours, he was chained to another guard or two as they rotated in. And I imagine, and Paul would have been awaiting potential execution there during house arrest in Rome. And I imagine Paul could have written, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that this is what happened to me, and it really stinks. In the King James, it would have said, stinketh. I wanted to spread the good news through preaching to the government officials, but that this did not happen. As a result of this hell that I've been living through, I've decided that prayer does not work, and I'm going to leave the ministry behind. Paul had no control over his circumstances that he was dealt, but he had control over how he framed the circumstances. This is what he wrote instead in Philippians 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. See, with every new palace guard that he was chained to, he was able to evangelize. Some came to Christ. They became the evangelist into the Roman ranks. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, he reframed his circumstances and his perspective in life rather than continue to believe the lie that Satan was whispering in his head. Some of the guards would spread the good news in in Philippians chapter 4. He said, finally, brothers and sisters, listen, whatever is true, whatever is noble and right and pure and lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. He wrote this when he was in chains. 
Part of the renewing of our mind is reframing our circumstances in the light of God's truth. That God is in control. When I got hurt that softball evening sliding into second base, my season was over and I was sorely disappointed. I had to find things to do that summer when I was home from college. Well, as it turned out, because I was looking for things to do, I met some other Christian people who invited me to their church. I became involved in the youth ministry there under a very dynamic youth pastor who saw a lot more in me than I saw in myself, who encouraged me, and this is where I received my call to ministry. I wasn't chosen for that youth pastor position in Minnesota, but a couple of months later, still on tour, I met a pastor in Salina, Kansas, who said, hey, would you consider being our youth pastor when you're done touring? Thus, I became a Kansan for the first time. Lynn and I got ripped off by a filthy hotel owner, and, um, and uh, we were prepared to eat all the costs. I became frustrated and irritated. I realized, though, in, during the course of all these phone calls I was making, that I had developed a bad attitude, so I ultimately surrendered it to God. Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? And during the course of more phone calls, the Lord reminded me to communicate in a manner that was Christ-like, namely, according to the fruit of the Spirit, which was being formed in me. Where's your love? Where's your gentleness and patience, John? Where's your kindness and self-control? If you rely on me, then you'll have my attitude and display uh, my witness. And this lesson that I learned during the couple weeks of frustration was worth way more than the $250 that we would have lost in a hotel. As it turns out, we unsuspectingly received a phone call just a week ago or so, and the hotel manager said, hey, uh, we'll be willing to refund some of your cost. And I said, how about two nights free in a hotel? <laughs> and so that, he made that happen somehow with points. Uh, so I actually earned, earned, got a pretty good deal out of that. So. Um, but someone leaves the church, I can say, man, I'm a lousy pastor. I, I know that blah, blah, blah. But perhaps God is leading people away from countryside because he said, I have a place for you that I prepared in advance for you to do at another church that's struggling. We need children's worker over there or youth workers or whatever. They need help over there in a smaller church perhaps. Okay, Lord, because you've led many, many people here who are gifted and they plugged in and served as well. Or perhaps God, in some cases, let, he led people away from the church because he knew that if they were to remain with their attitude of discontent, then they would have been the cause of perhaps, you know, division here in the church. And so the Lord may have protected us that way as well. We need to reframe our perspective around God's truth, and God's truth is he is sovereign. He is in control. He sits on the throne, even amidst politics going on, even in the midst of COVID, Jesus is on the throne, and he's in control. So, Lord, in, in our circumstances, what do you want to teach us, Lord? How do you want to build our faith? How do you want to use us in this circumstance? Reframe our perspective if we're to live in freedom. 
And then just one final short point. The Apostle Paul was able to do this because he did something else. He rejoiced in the Lord always. That was a powerful step for him to be able to reframe his circumstance. He wrote in the same book of Philippians, chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, and you'll be free. Paul's words carry an immense amount of weight here because he walked his talk. He was a prisoner, as he wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. Another time, actually when he was not imprisoned in Rome, but he was imprisoned in Philippi, along his partner Silas, they were imprisoned and shackled, and after being severely beaten on the backs, they were thrown into this dungeon-like cell, shackled in their hands and feet, and they decided that they'd begin to sing hymns and praise to God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul and Silas rejoiced in the Lord even before God showed up. We often want to hold off our praises until God does something miraculous, and then we're filled with praise. Oh, God, thank you. But they praised before God showed up. In fact, they did not praise God because God showed up. God showed up because they praised him. And God showed up in quite a miraculous way with an earthquake set them free. The, the prison doors were opened. And of course, you know the story of the jailer and his family accepting Christ that night. When we choose to praise God and rejoice in the Lord, our circumstances may not change, but guess what? We will change. We will change. In fact, Dr. Andrew Newberg, the director of research at Thomas Jefferson Hospital Medical College in Pennsylvania, He's an authority on the brain, and he says this. As a Christian doctor, he writes, um, he writes, prayer is like a physical workout for the brain and how prayer literally changes one's brain chemistry. Not only does prayer touch the heart of God, but it literally changes our brains. And this is confirmed by Carolyn Leaf, author of Switch On Your Brain, and she's a doctor as well, and she writes, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on the brain scan. This type of prayer increases activity in the brain, areas associated with social interaction, compassion, and sensitivity to others. It increases the frontal lobe activity as focus and intentionality increase. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. We're renewed by the, we're, we're changed by the renewal of our mind. Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, your minds in Christ Jesus. And so Lynn has a box right there. I forgot to bring it up, Lynn. Can I have that? Thank you. Let's hear it for Lynn. Lynn? Lynn? Vanna White? All right. Thank you. So um, 
God's word says don't be anxious about anything. So you know what? Something cool to do would be, you know, just to get a piece of paper and, and write on the piece of paper your prayer request like this, your anxiety, your worry, your fear, fold it up and stick it in the box and say, this is God's box. This is your box, God. This is yours. I'm giving it to you. And then put it in there. And so, all right, that's a good object lesson. That's cool. What would it be like, though, that if I put my anxiety and fear in here and say, praise God, and, and then tomorrow I open it up and say, God, um, mind if I get this back here a little bit? Because um, here, I, I know you can deal with it, but I, I have a better idea as to how to do this. So, Lord, let me just get this back here and, and take this back and, um, because I, I need to stew over this a little bit. while. Okay, uh, uh, and then you worry about it. We would never do that. But we do do that all the time, right? When we present a request to God, we lay him at the foot of the throne, and then we get him back, and we worry about it some more, and we stew over it, and we get angry over this until we finally surrender it to God once and for all. And I just tore my notes, so I don't know what I'm going to say now. No, I do. I'm kidding. Uh, I want to conclude with where I began with Johnny Cash. Picture Johnny Cash here. When Johnny Cash was, you know, middle-aged and he had enough drug addiction and um, he finally said, I've had enough, man. Life, he was not like, he divorced his first wife and um, and the kids were estranged and uh, he just uh, said, I'm done. So he found this cave that he went to as a kid. He went to the back of the cave and he was going to end his life. And I'm sure before he took his own life, planned to take his own life, he breathed a prayer, and that's when he said he saw a light, and even wrote a song about it, a transitional song. He saw this light. I forget what the light has light in the title. I forgot the name of it, but he saw this light come in, and he heard, heard the voice of the Lord saying, you know, Johnny, I've, I'm your Savior. I, I have always loved you. I've always accepted you just as you are, and it literally changed the trajectory of his life to the point when where he, uh, God used him in powerful ways after that case. You know, the, the prison tours and all this. God used him uh, immensely because he ceased believing the lie that it was his fault that his brother died. So how can we experience freedom in Christ? We need to ask God to reveal the lie. The lies that we have come to believe as truth. And we will be the last person to know that there are lies sometimes. We need to ask God, please, if there's anything unclean in me, please reveal that to me so I can be set free. Secondly, we need to replace the lie that is revealed with the truth of God's word. And then we've got to take that truth from God's word and move it from here to here as we refrain, reframe the perspective of life circumstances around God's truth. And what will help us to do that is by rejoicing in the Lord always. So there are four R words. Can you remember those? Four R words, and there are steps to freedom. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we, we do um, want to know the truth. And you are the truth, Lord, and you are the revealer of truth. And we want to replace the truth or the lies uh, with your truth as well. So thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, God. Thank you, Lord, that you walk with us. You still sit on the throne and uh, you walk with, with us through every circumstance. And we can trust in you. 
And so we do rejoice, Lord. We do thank you for your faithfulness, for leading us in the way of Christ. In Christ's name, amen.